Hi friend, I wanted to take a quick minute to connect you with a free resource that I know will be helpful in your pain to purpose journey. It's our free seven day devotional that you can sign up for right now. With it, you'll get seven daily devotionals written by our founder, Davy Blackburn, delivered to your inbox each morning. These are adapted from our Pain to Purpose 42-day devotional and are full of daily scripture readings, questions to reflect upon, and prayer prompts to help you focus your heart. If you're looking for some encouragement in whatever you're facing, this is it, and it's free. You just have to go to devo.nothingiswasted.com to sign up. I don't know your story, but what I do know is that God isn't done with it. Whether you've endured a recent loss, a divorce, an unexpected diagnosis, or some other pain point, God wants to give you hope when it seems like it is lost. Let's take seven days together to find that hope in whatever you're walking through. Sign up today at devo.nothingiswasted.com. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn, and joining me as a guest co-host, you know her pretty well at this point, Teresa Glantz. Teresa, so great to have you. Hey, Davey. I'm so glad to be here. Always exciting. This is always so much fun. You've been on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast a couple times, sharing your story, talking about your Mm -hmm. coaching journey. You've been with us as far as intros and outros are concerned to helping me host, and it's just really cool to have you integrated into the work that God is doing here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, you are a, just in case people don't know, you you are a trauma-informed coach. You do mm-hmm. a lot of coaching, especially with childhood trauma with us. And then with you have your own coaching business where you have a lot of people that you're coaching. It's an incredible thing. How are you, by the way? I'm doing great. I mean, yeah, it is amazing to see what God has done. Um, jumping into the space of trauma is a unique place to be. And I tell people all the time, Jesus and trauma. I can talk about Mm. both of them all day long. I love Mm. it. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about what you do. And I think you just have this perfect marrying of, you know, God's given you such a rich background in scripture and in church work and walking with people. And then uh, you going from your, in your own pain to purpose, now taking that, mixing it with the trauma-informed certification Mm -hmm. training that you've received. And now you're helping other people with that. Um, we're in conversations right now to elevate all of our coaches to being trauma informed and who knows where we go from there, but it's just really mm-hmm. cool to be a part of what you're doing and you be a part of what nothing is wasted is doing. And so thanks for joining me today. Yeah, you bet. We've got a great, a great interview with a guy named Chris Bruno and, uh, guys, if you're listening to this, you're watching this. I was so amazed with Chris Bruno when I had this conversation with him. I was, uh, it felt very timely because I've been trying to figure out spiritual development pathways for my kids. And then boom, we had this conversation and that's what he really majors on. And so I've been trying to dive into some of his material to just get an, a, an idea of, okay, well, how do I, how do I intentionally guide my kids? You know, Teresa, my kids are, my older two are 10 and nine. So there's that pivotal age where it's like, okay, we're starting to have these really big conversations. It's not like yeah. the, just keep them, you know, keep them alive when they're little. It's like, <laughs> right. I was like, okay, these are some big, these are tough situations they're navigating. And we feel like 
the only way to do this is to be more intentional. So it was really helpful to have this conversation with Chris. Yeah, I look forward to listening to it. So he has a uh, a book called Sage, A Man's Guide into His Second Passage and Manmaker Project, A Father's Guide to Initiating His Son to Manhood and brother, and then also Brotherhood Primer. So he focuses mostly on men, boys going to men. Uh, Teresa and I are going to talk a little bit more about that. It's not just, our conversation after this is not just going to be centered around men and boys. We're going to extract some principles that he talks about in this conversation we're going to circle around a little bit more, give you some insight into ours. So stick around after my conversation with Chris Bruno. If this conversation strikes you as something that is, you're like, man, or not just this conversation, anything that we're doing, nothing, nothing is wasted. If you've just been turned on to the ministry, if you're new, or if you've been with us for some time, but you're trying to figure out what's my next step, I want to invite you to a free live Zoom call that I do a couple of times a month. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story. You can register for the next one at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll also put a link here in the YouTube video. But uh, stick around afterwards. Teresa and I are going to chat some more. I'm excited about this. Here's my conversation with Chris Bruno. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining me on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. It's so great to have you. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much, Davey, for having me. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are, what your family's like? Just give us a little bit of a rundown of who Chris Bruno is and what you do. And then we're going to dive a little bit into your story and how you got there. Absolutely. So I currently live in Northern Colorado in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I have been married for uh, almost three decades now, um, almost, not quite. And uh, I've got a 23-year-old son who lives in Texas, a 20-year-old daughter who lives in Washington, D.C., and a 17-year-old daughter who still lives at home. She's a senior in high school. So, uh, But we have been all over the world. I've been in international missions uh, for a decade and lived in Seattle and Chicago. But right now, we find ourselves in the amazing state of Colorado. We're super excited to be here. I'm always jealous when I talk to somebody who lives in Colorado because I tell I tell Christy, every time we go out to Colorado, we've got a partner church in Denver. Every time we go out there, I'm like, why do we not live here? Like <laughs> everybody like lives outside. We love recreation. We love being outside. We love being, we love hiking. We love winter sports. We love all of it, right? Skiing. I'm like, we should just live here. What are we doing? Let's, let's re-headquarter Nothing Is Wasted Ministries to Colorado and let's just be outside all the time. What is keeping you? Uh, welcome. <laughs> you are welcome to come here. I know. I know. Well, um, it's so it's so good to have you on the show today. And I know that there's some really incredible stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that you've been working with uh, men and women alike. You've been a counselor for a long time. And I just would love for you to share a little bit about that. And then, you know, kind of what is it exactly that you're working with people in? And then, and then why don't you tell us how you got there? Like, why is why is this your life's work? We all kind of have some kind of a convergence that we come into in life where we go, hey, I realize how I was wired, how I was built. And then these things that God took me through that made me go, I want to meet this need in the world. What, what was that like for you? Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the present 
Yeah. Uh, and, and then go, well, let me actually start with the past and then go to the present and then go back to the okay. past. So, uh, in a previous life, I already mentioned, uh, my wife and I, we were, uh, international missionaries. Uh, we lived in the middle East for 10 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, so that was kind of my, my first career, my first foray into the world and ministry. And then after 10 years, we came back to the States and that's where I got uh, a counseling psychology degree and then moved to Colorado, uh, in 2010 and started two different organizations. Um, one of them is called Restory Counseling. It's uh, here in Northern Colorado, headquartered here in Colorado, and we've got a team all across the country. And the other is a nonprofit ministry organization called Restoration Project. And the work we do there is really focused on uh, helping men recover their hearts. And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm currently up to uh, and have been doing that for the last 13 years or so. Um, but that's now how did I get here uh, is, hmm. is really part of that journey. So I, I actually grew up in Colorado uh, in a mountain town outside of Denver, up in the mountains there. And uh, But my family of origin, Davey, is it's just me and my sister. And she is five years older than I am. But the uh, she has, from the moment she was born, she has pretty significant mental and physical and emotional disabilities to the degree where still to this day, she operates at about a like one to two year old level. She cannot care for herself uh, at all. She currently lives with a full-time uh, care provider uh, who is there with her round the clock. Uh, and so as a boy growing up with that in a rural space, there was a lot of focus of my life on her and caring for her. And my parents were, you know, caring for her. This will kind of betray a little bit of my age, but this is back in the day when, uh, when you had a child with disabilities like this, you still institutionalize them. Mm. Well, my parents were kind of the forerunners of a lot of development work for people with disabilities where they did not do that. They chose to keep her at home and and God bless them for that. And it had a significant impact on my life. Uh, and mm. that's kind of the crucible, the atmosphere. And I'm going to say even like the, the, the atmosphere of trauma that I grew up in because there was a lot. She was very OCD, had a lot of emotional outbreaks, had a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of needs that then I, as a, the younger brother, five years later, I'm just born into that, uh, into that story, into that atmosphere yeah. and had to learn how to adapt and be in this four person family where three of them are really focused on, on her and her needs. And mm. so uh, that crafted, created something within me uh, around my own life, my own heart, what I was supposed to be and do, even some of the roles that I took on that shouldn't have been taken on back then as a boy. Uh, So I grew up with that. And then, um, you know, a couple other experiences that I had when I was overseas, living uh, overseas with my wife in ministry, we were, we were kind of in the undercover missionary world. And there were some significant uh, events that happened, uh, a a personal trauma where I was attacked uh, personally and and wounded. And then another trauma where a couple members of my team uh, were killed uh, and walked through that. And also, wow. uh, we were, uh, we were, I was way too young to be doing this, but I was leading the team and I had a lot of young men joining me on the team. 
And they were very, uh, it was kind of their first step into adulthood and they were kind of wrestling with their own stories and their own lives as, as, you know, young men turning into men. And I had barely done that process myself. And yet I was leading these other guys. I was a young dad trying to figure out life uh, and all of that. And so it was in that atmosphere of helping these other men that I was like, I need to do something here for my own life, my own story, my own traumas, as well as learn how to walk with other people through theirs, uh, particularly some of their early childhood uh, experiences of of pain, trauma, tragedy, whatever it may be. That's then why I came back to the States to get the counseling degree and retool and retrain for the next season of my life and uh, and work in ministry. Wow. Isn't it, kind of uh, interesting that other people can become like a mirror to you in your own trauma mm-hmm. that you maybe are not aware of, or you haven't done, you know, you haven't gotten introspective enough to go, yeah, there's some stuff I really got to deal with. Maybe you're experiencing it and it's coming out sideways in a certain way. But like when you see it in somebody else, it can become a mirror. I mean, I think about that often with our kids, right? You see it in your kids and you're like, Hey, why are you? Oh, okay. I had the same thing, you know, (laughs) but it's interesting that that part of your story is, Hey, I was trying to help these men as they're moving into this space. They're kind of, and, and I was, became aware of my own trauma that I had to deal with. Yeah, very much. So, I mean, they had some language, uh, and, and, Back then, it was really in some of the genesis of what we have in the Christian world of some of the men's early men's movement, men's work right. that was being kind of brought out in the in the Christian world. And so they had some language that, you know, I, I didn't have. They had read the books, but you didn't have books where we were because they didn't sell them there. Right. And there wasn't a Kindle at that point. So uh, they had language. I was like, oh my goodness, you guys are talking about you know, your your fathers being underfathered, having needs, not knowing who you are as a man, not having a rite of passage of turning from boy to man. I didn't either. Let's talk about that. Let's get into wow. that. Wow. That's amazing. So, uh, unpack that a little bit for me then. You know, I know that a significant amount of the work that you're doing is you're helping with men around these issues of masculinity, yeah. often sexual addiction, trauma, abuse, really kind of understanding their their past, their story, and developing a, a trauma narrative or a story narrative to be able to walk then in, in wholeness in the future, right? Yeah. And we have, a lot of, we have a lot of people that come to our ministry specifically around this idea of sexual betrayal. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time it is, the story is, is that the, the man has slipped into some kind of addiction or he's the perpetrator of the affair. He's the one that had you know, this other partner. And so now their wife is left in this carnage. And, but you see this become more and more prevalent in terms of men trying to navigate the difficulties of today, the complications of today, the accessibility of this over-sexualized culture. There's lots of different voices and like what it means to be a man or what it doesn't mean to be a man. What have you found? If you can give us kind of some overarching and then maybe we can find some trails to go down sure. uh, to borrow the Colorado colloquial, right? Let's find some trailheads. We'll, like, <laughs> give us a little overarching, like here's what I've found when it comes to men as a whole and why I'm now doing this work uh, and so entrenched in it. Oh, such a great question. And it's very like a uh, uh, expansive question. Right. Um, so let me see if I can like narrow it down. Uh, the first thing I would say is 
the behaviors that we see now in the present, right, are are the result of some kind of woundedness or emotional trauma in the past. And the way that I like to say it is that there is a story behind the story. There's a story behind the behavior. So the betrayal, the pornography, the issues, the the anger, the gambling, whatever, the alcohol, whatever the addiction, the problem is currently, uh, there is always a why behind the what. There's always something that's going on that is not new. It's not just like last week that something began to happen for you that you're now betraying your wife. You're now having an affair, whatever it is. Those processes, those ways of being have been sewn into our lives for, for decades, for, you know, for even all the way back to when we were uh, boys. And so, uh, I just want to say to those that are struggling with something now or finding, you know, you're, we hear stories of all these betrayals and all this stuff happening. And, and a lot of guys are struggling in all kinds of areas. If you're currently struggling, struggling, I would ask you to consider like, what may be the why behind the what may, what may be the, the issues, the, the traumas, the tragedies, the, the struggles that were, were sewn into you way back when. And they're now showing up in a behavior that is maladaptive or hurtful to somebody else. Um, and the way that I like to think about that too, Davey, is that when it, when it started in our lives as a boy, we were just trying to survive something. Mm. We were trying to survive something that we found a way out, a way of feeling better, a way of comforting our hearts, a way of dissociating from the world, a way of uh, kind of navigating through the challenges and difficulties of whatever it may have been. And these processes worked. And we didn't have the wisdom, the insight, the faith, the, the parenting to be able to, uh, to, to know what to do otherwise. And it's not that we were bad people that chose these things. It was just that we were trying to survive something challenging, some kind of okay. some kind of tragedy or trauma that then got lodged into our hearts over the course of years. And uh, you know, Kurt Thompson talks about the you know neuropathways that get formed in our brains that we just that's you know, talk about a trailhead that is now a super highway that is cutting through right. our 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 brains that it's very difficult to get out of those uh, out of those things. Mm -hmm. So if you're struggling with some kind of addiction, uh, it is not because you're a bad person. It's because those those processes got in your life at an early age. Now right now, like, yes, we should step away from them. We should get away, you know, we should stop them. And some, you know, some of them are really, you know, they are sinful, mm. but we've fallen into them because uh, we're trying to survive. Wow. Wow. Is, is this something that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how to ask this question, but is this something that's, that's novel, that's new in, in this kind of generation? Or is this something that like, in the story arc of all of like history, you know, I know that there's only so much that we can look back on as when we're not historians, but it seems like there is unique challenges today confronting men that maybe a generation ago or two generations ago yeah. were not those challenges or they were different. They, they manifested themselves differently. Maybe give me a commentary on why right now is such a critical time frame in, yeah. in history when it comes to men really understanding um, how to how, how to properly manage the things they're trying to cope with, well, I would I would start with the the book of Ecclesiastes where it talks about there is nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. So these these struggles are not new; these issues are not new, uh, and 
the way that I like to think about addiction is addictions are actually something else, someone else, some other process that we are turning towards Mm. in order to get life, in order Mm. to find love instead of towards, you know, uh, another or towards God. And the definition of that is idolatry. Mm-hmm. where we turn towards something else in order to give us life. And uh, the only one who can give us life is God himself. And wow. so when we think about the history of idolatry, it has been in existence, you know, since humankind uh, showed up on the planet. So that yeah. that is not new. What I would say, however, is that never before on, on earth has there been as much stimulation and mm. access to these very kinds of things, right? Yeah. The proliferation of idols has just exponentially increased on, wow. you know, in, in the world. And so, of course, we're finding these things. Of course, we're, uh, we're finding ways to find life that is other from God because there's so many more options. Right. There's so many more options. Um, and parallel to that is how men are raised. We are raised to not be emotionally intelligent. We're not given, most of us are not given that kind of like, hey, when you have a hard thought or feeling, when you're feeling just uncomfortable, when there is a, a difficult situation that you're facing, right? Here's how you navigate that. Here's how you work through that. Let me walk with you through that. So, you know, to be to be just like simpleton about it, it's mostly like boys don't have emotions. It's is it's kind of how most of us are raised, right. and the fact is that we do have them. We have a lot of them, just as many as as our sisters do, right? So, so there is something that we are not trained how to walk through the emotions, and then we find a way to get out of the bad and hard and and trauma emotions, and then we have the proliferation of all these options to make ourselves feel better. It's just a, it's a cluster. Hey, it's Aubrey Sampson here. And just like you, I have dealt with a lot of big feelings and heartache in my life. Mostly I've written about lament and grief for a grown-up audience, but we all know, especially here at Nothing Is Wasted, that adults do not have a monopoly on strong, difficult emotions. And so I have turned my attention to writing about big feelings for little ones with a brand new children's book called Big Feelings Days, a book about hard things, heavy emotions, and Jesus' love. We all know that children have a lot of emotions and feeling sad or angry or brokenhearted can be overwhelming. That's why it's so important to help the kids in our lives understand that their feelings are valuable and normal and that they can creatively express what they feel to Jesus, who created emotions and deeply cares about everyone. Big Feelings Days is a tender and engaging picture book that helps children ages three to seven learn how to release their feelings of grief, anger, and heartbreak in creative ways to our God who cares. This picture book includes full-color illustrations, and they are darling, relatable imagery to help children express and identify emotions, and creative ways for children to process their feelings with Jesus. Even now, you can be helping your kids develop emotional health or your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, those kids you love. You can help them begin to develop emotional health and emotional intelligence. 
as they learn to come to Jesus with whatever they may be feeling. And a little secret between us, this book helps adults as well. You can pre-order it wherever it is you pre-order your book. It comes out on October 17th. If you go to navpress.com, you'll find the book for 20% off for our Nothing Is Wasted listeners. You can also follow me at obsamp on Instagram for more information. So, um, you know, I, I think about this one. I've got two two boys, yeah. and there's a lot more conversation around, partially because of what we do and we mm-hmm. the 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 own our own healing work that we've done, where we've become very aware of our emotions and how to where you know how to properly gauge those, and then how to um, minister to those and, and parent those emotions. And uh, you know, I think about. Um, there's so many folks that I, men that I interact with that they have no, it's like they just have these major father woundings. I have a wonderful father. I, I can't look back and think about any father woundings that I have. And so I think a lot of times when I have these conversations, I'm, I feel like a an ambassador for my brothers who are yeah. really working through a lot of father woundings where they didn't have a safe space to be able to um, externalize those emotions and have someone really like, walk them through in, in a way that felt both, um, I call it maybe like a warrior poet, you know, like yeah. both yeah. like there's strength and there's vulnerability, right? This like marrying of the two. And mm. so they either find themselves in one space or the other kind of, you know, uh, vacillating between the two. And so when, when I think about this, when it comes to my kids, I'm, maybe I'm asking Chris, like, how? Give me a barometer, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of men who they like the idea of having this like stiff upper lip and like you know, I'm, there's a strength there, but then there's also this like this hole or this vacuum that all of us as humans we're wired to be able to have emotional connection, emotional awareness, and so to your point men particularly are resorting to other coping mechanisms because they have that void. So how do I have, what's a barometer for me to go, okay, I'm, I'm walking that tension well, like how do I, and I'm helping my boys to walk that tension well. Are there some handholds that I can know, oh, I've gotten too far over into this ditch or over into this ditch? You know, I think a lot of men, so I was one of the men that did not have that kind of father to walk with me. Mm. Um, I, I did not have a dad like you did. Uh, he's a good man. He's still married to my mom, like, and all of that. And he was not emotionally present for me. He was very active in the like stiff upper lip. We got to just make it through. Um, and, and so as I have tried to figure out like, what is it for me and what I want to offer my children? You know, I have one son and two daughters, what I want to offer them. There's uh, the, the barometer that I try to keep is you, you said strength and vulnerability. The way that I like to talk about it is strength and tenderness. Mm, that, I like that. that in Psalm 62, it actually says that you, O God, are a God of strength and you are a God of tenderness. Mm. And I feel like when we have... Uh, and, and when when I marry those two together, it, it results in what I would call kindness. Mm. Okay, that kindness is both strength and tenderness. It is it is showing up in the space of like I I I am going to be strong. I am going to be present. I'm going to show up with you know like fully be here, and I'm not going to take your head off. Mm. I'm going to be gentle with you. 
I'm going to be, you know, warm towards you, not hot and burning, right? There, there's something about that. So for me, the barometer is, you know, when you, when you have only strength and no tenderness, you have power. When you have tenderness and no strength, you have weakness. Mm. And, and I think it's the two that actually bring kindness into the world and even you know, that it is kindness that leads us to repentance. It's kindness right. that changes us. It brings transformation. And and I would say, you know, and, and we can dive into this if you want. Here's a trailhead. Uh, yes. Is that um, what we cannot do anything to mitigate tragedy in the world. Tragedy exists. Mm. It just exists because we live in a broken and fallen world, right? Yeah. Things happen. Things break. Accidents happen. Tragedy yeah. occurs because the world is broken and dark. Mm. And one of the things I think that we do as men specifically is we try to mitigate the tragedy. Mm. And, you know, and, and uh, to a degree, like, yes, lock your doors, wear your seatbelts, do all kinds of things to try to do what you can to prevent tragedy as best as we can. And mm. however much we try, we can't. Right. That's some of what you're about. That's some about, right. you know, what you are about. And, um, and the, the reality is that if we focus only on tragedy prevention, then we actually lose the opportunity to, to transform the tragedy that does show up in our lives. Uh, when kindness is not present in the moment of tragedy, it transforms from tragedy into trauma. Wow, that's good. Well put. Okay. And so that trauma then is what is a soul shaping, life shaping, you know, our the the neuropathway shaping aspect of our lives. We come to different thoughts and interpretations. We we find ways out. We find these addictions. We find these, you know, uh, shut down emotions, all that, because trauma has now occurred in our lives because there was an absence of kindness. And yeah. and I think actually the the greatest weapon that any man has on earth to fight darkness is not his muscle or his faith or anything. It is his kindness. Mm. The more that men bring kindness into the world, the more we can transform, you know, tragedy transforms into trauma when kindness does not exist. But, but Davey, trauma transforms back into a, a moment of tragedy when we inject, when we show up, when we bring strength and tenderness, when we bring kindness. That's great. So, that I think is what we can do to be transformative men, to bring to to even if we didn't have that father who gave that to us. I, I love that there is fathering available in the world. Yeah. There is there is there are other men who can father us, and whether they are older or younger or our peers, fathering every man is called to father. Just because even if he doesn't have children, we are called right. to father. There is a father energy that is given to us to father. Right. And and that that kindness can then be brought into our lives and stories. <laughs> so that that's kind of where I would go um, in, in response to that. And, and I want to give men hope because transformation can occur. It's transformed men who transform men. And so yeah. if you can, even if you didn't have a story of that in your past, you mentioned father wounds, right? Yeah. Father wounds occur because you didn't get what you needed from your dad and you still can get what your heart needs. It oh, can come from someone else. That's right. It can come from someone else. Well, to your point, that's the beauty of the body of Christ, right? Oh, that's man. the beautiful picture that we get 
of this idea of adoption or grafting in. You see that thread throughout scripture where the body of Christ is to be a group of people, a collective of people that graft in those who are orphaned, yes. widowed, yes. marginalized, the aliens, right? And, and you know, you can take that, that idea of orphaned, that, not just someone who actually doesn't have parents, but someone who has an orphaned heart. And, and, and the body of Christ can help to heal people who, who are operating in that orphaned heart as we're talking about right now. And that would be, you know, as I'm, I look at someone like a, you know, and, and this is such a, this is such a sensitive topic because we, we are walking with a lot of people who are struggling with infertility mm-hmm. and they're wrestling through this notion of like, I want to be a parent, but I'm not able to be a biological parent or up to this point, I'm not. And, and, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much difficulty within that. But I, I do believe that, as you said, part of that journey, not the whole of it, but part of that journey could be that God is also inviting you in that season to be a parent still. Yes. And, and in the season where you're empty nesting, right? To now move into a new season where you're being a parent still, to your point, we're all called to parent. We're all called to father and to mother. I look at a couple like Louie and, and Shelly Giglio, and I think about they've never had kids, but man, they have parented so many people yeah. all throughout Christendom with just having this mindset of like, we're going to, we're going to father and mother all of these people who are making these major differences in the kingdom. And so there, there, there comes a point where we can begin to, you know, think about what we don't have. And I, again, I want to be sensitive because I know it's a very difficult journey, very real journey. We can think about so many times what we don't have rather than seeing the invitation that God is bringing us into to go, Hey, what if, what if you could help to heal and mend orphan hearts Mm-hmm. by being by being a parent in this. Yes. And, and it, I think it's maybe just a semantics, but I mean, I feel like every human is called to be a father mm-hmm. and has been given the gift to be a father or to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And it is those that, you know, not, not everyone is called to be a dad or a mom. Mm-hmm. And, and, and wow. that's where I say maybe it's a, a matter of semantics. Uh, and my, my heart wow. breaks. We have some really good friends who have struggled yeah. with infertility. And my heart yeah. breaks in that realm of the war against life that yeah. so many couples are walking through. And they still have father and mother energy that God has given them. Yeah, that's right. So That's so good. You know, I think about this idea of kind. I mean, you said that, that so beautifully. Kindness, like when when tragedy has an absence of kindness, it turns into trauma. Like, wow. I mean, that concept is so powerful. And I think about it even in terms of, you know, if we were to reduce it down to not just these like massive tragedies that happen in our lives, but the little micro tragedies that take place in our kids' lives and our spouses. Like I think about the times where, and I know this is the old joke and the old adage where like, we as men are just trying to fix the things, right? Not just this, like the macro we're trying to protect or lock, you know, and prevent tragedy, but we're trying to prevent tragedy or micro tragedies in a lot of ways by fixing things, you know? And so when our wife comes to us and downloads the day and frustration she's experiencing, I see my propensity to try to fix it, right? And that's because I want that little tragedy to go away. Yeah. Rather than tending to it in kindness, Yes. And just allowing space for that. Same thing with my kids. And so <clears throat> there's a certain, you're kind of saying there's a certain uh, awareness and emotional intelligence that we have to begin to adopt to be able to bring kindness and space into our homes in this realm. 
Well, absolutely. And, and I would say, Davey, that what the world needs more from men is not their fixing, but their presence. And wow. that when, when we can shift into recognizing that it's not what we do, but who we are, Wow. That is when we bring ourselves to bear, not our intelligence, not our not our solutions, not our way of being, not our advice, right? Uh, I, I rarely want advice from somebody. Mm. I rarely want to, you know, it, it, that's why we have YouTube. Like we can go to YouTube <laughs> and get advice, okay? But, but YouTube cannot bring, bring presence. Mm. And I actually believe that the wow. gospel is a gospel of withness, to be with that God, Jesus himself is called Emmanuel, God with us. And, and what was happening in the garden of Eden was the withness of God with humanity. And what is restored at the end of time is mm. the withness of God with humanity. And the, and the uh, kind of whole vision and mission of Jesus is to restore the withness with mm. us and him and with one another. Wow. And so when we think about bringing our presence, that is the greatest gift that we can bring to any situation. And so when we think about downloading the day, it is, are you with her? Mm. Are you with your child? Are you with yourself? Is that some place that you can that you can show up more than what you have to say? It is your presence far more. Mm. That's so good. It seems like it takes a bit of emotional capacity to have this right you gotta you have some you have to have some emotional margin to be able to be present and that seems like honestly it takes um you having walked your own journey of healing and wholeness yes so if we're talking to folks who they're listening to this and they're like man i'm just now discovering some of the brokenness or fracturing that's happened in my own story how do i begin to to walk that road of wholeness it's particularly men right as yeah. we're as they're listening to this, like how do I, I want I, I want what you're saying, Chris, but I just don't. I mean, I feel so consumed right now by my own trauma. Right. Well, so you said it, and again, maybe this is semantics, but it's not that you have walked, but that you are walking. Mm. So if you are walking on your your path of healing, right, then you can walk with someone else. But if you're just staying That's in great. one place, then you can't walk with somebody, and you can only take someone down that path as far as you have gone down that path. And so, uh, I just want to give some hope that even if you're just beginning the journey, you're at least beginning the journey. It is those that don't have a sense of their own story at all and are not willing to walk the path of healing that, you know, we there, there's very little that can happen there. Mm. So, I, I would say, you know, to begin the process of attending to your story, the first thing is that you have to actually acknowledge that you have one. Hmm. You have to acknowledge that you have one. And you talk about some micro tragedies. You know, the, the reality is that all of us are born into a world that is not Eden. We are not in yeah. the garden. And the, the greatest tragedies in our lives, the most shaping tragedies of our lives, sometimes are what we call the big T tragedies. You know, you've walked through some, I've walked through some, most yeah. people have had some kind of those major kind of milestones in their lives. But the reality is that those big T tragedies uh, are, are, are maybe not the most shaping ones. 
the, the way I talk about it is like, it's either death by sword, the big T tragedies, or it's the mm-hmm. death by a thousand paper cuts, yeah. the little T yeah. tragedies. Those ones actually have far more, and especially for guys, it's easy to go like, hey, you know, I mentioned that uh, to you a little while ago, like I, I was attacked while I was overseas. Mm-hmm. And that that is a big T tragedy. Right. But my response to it was formed by the the shaping aspects of how I how I walked through all those little T tragedies before then. Wow. So we have to acknowledge that we have both big and small T's. And and unfortunately, the most um, I, I say unfortunately uh, because it's so hard to see sometimes. But uh, a friend of mine says it's it's not that the greatest tragedies of our lives are not coming through car crashes and cancer. The greatest mm. tragedies of our lives, where kindness did not exist, that have turned into traumas, are the moments where we uh, had just those little micro moments that our heart experienced uh, distance, loss, orphaning, widowing, strangering, any of those kinds of things that we have had no language for that we've not acknowledged. And the reality is we all have those. We all have those in our stories and we have to acknowledge like, yes, I have those too because I'm human. That doesn't mean I'm weak. It's just because I'm human. And if I can attend to those and start the process of even naming them, acknowledging I have a story, that is the beginning of the process. That's the beginning of the trail. Hey guys, I wanted to share something really cool with you. We've been launching our Pain to Purpose course in churches all over the world now. And it's been amazing to see how people are finding hope and healing in the midst of their trauma through this course being offered at their local church. First of all, I just want to celebrate that. And secondly, I wanted to let you know how you can partner with us to get the course launched at your church too. I know most of you listening to this may not be a pastor or church leader, but chances are, if you're not one, you know one. What you may not know is how overwhelming it can be for pastors to walk so many people through pain and trauma in their church. In fact, most pastors that I speak with on a regular basis feel pretty ill-equipped for the task of helping people navigate the difficult stories and tragedies of their life. And many of their congregants are facing it in overwhelming numbers. What we're passionate about here at Nothing Is Wasted is helping churches feel equipped in engaging pain and trauma, which we know will ultimately lead to transformation and healing for the people in their congregation and for their church as a whole. So if you're a pastor, I want to invite you to join me and our local church director, Ken Roberts, on a Zoom call that we hold twice a month just for pastors and church leaders. If you know a pastor, I'd love for you to get this information into their hands. This interactive Zoom call will give you the opportunity to hear from other pastors how the Pain to Purpose course has positively impacted their churches. And we're going to give you resources and tools that will lighten your load and the load of your church staff. And we'll show you how we'd love to help you as you're helping the people within your congregation heal. Because we're passionate about the same thing that you are. People moving through their pain and stepping into mission in their local church and in your community. If you're not a pastor, why not share this incredible opportunity with your pastor? Let your pastor know about this call so they can learn more about the ways nothing is wasted once to partner with them in bringing hope and healing to your church. So to sign up for the next Zoom call, go to nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. And there you can choose a date to join us when it's most convenient for you. Now, if you're not a pastor, this link, nothingiswasted.com slash pastors, is an easy one to send to your local church leaders with a note about how Nothing Is Wasted Ministries has personally impacted your own healing journey. Now, as someone who has served as a pastor and as someone who has walked through unimaginable trauma, 
I know that a key part of revival within the body of Christ is going to come from how we as the church step into the pain and trauma of those who are hurting. Let me help you find a clear, proven path with ready-made tools and resources for your church body. Pastor, I really feel like this Zoom call is exactly what you've been looking for in serving your church more effectively in their pain. Sign up today at nothingiswasted.com slash pastors or share that link with your pastor and let's partner with God in helping others move from pain to purpose. You know, you've written a couple of books. Um, one most recently, Sage, A Man's Guide into a Second Passage. Yeah. The title really intrigues me, this idea of a yeah. second passage. And and your first book, Man Maker Project, A, a Father's Guide to Initiating his, to his Son to Manhood. Yes. Um, and then you also have a, a Brotherhood Primer. Yes. Right? So there's a few, now at least the first two, it's inherent within the title. It seems like there's some stages Mm-hmm. That, that you're kind of following as far as manhood is concerned. Uh, talk to me about that a little bit. That that really intrigues me that there, there are these specific kind of stages or phases to, to manhood. Yeah. Well, uh, I kind of break it down in the Sage book a little bit. So let me just refer to it briefly. I, I would say there's two main passages, which is what these two books are about. And then there's some stages in between. Um, so the first passage of a man's life is when he transforms from a boy into a man. And, you know, when you kind of just generally poll the public, when did you become a man? Uh, There's very few of us that have an actual like rite of passage process that Hmm. was ceremonially driven by our fathers to transform us into a man. When there was a moment where he- If we look in the past and we see like ancient history tells us that that was a very intentional process. There's so many- instances of that. That's really, that's so interesting. Yes. Uh, there's ancient wisdom there and we have lost that ancient wisdom uh, in, you know, at least in the Western culture and, and, you know, around the world as well. So uh, there's an African proverb that says, if we do not, uh, if we do not raise our boys, if we do not initiate our boys into manhood, they will burn down the village just to feel the heat. Wow. And I love that phrase because it's it's that's what we're seeing. We are seeing so many boys that are kind of just on their own, generations of boys that have been on their own to try to find their way into manhood. And they don't know what to do. They know that something has to happen inside. And so they're looking to the outside to try to find that heat that is actually supposed yeah. to come from the father, that 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 initiation that is supposed to come from the father. Wow. And and that is what the Manmaker Project book is all about. How do we, in the Western context, raise our boys with intentionality from boy into man? And mm-hmm. the way that I like to talk about it is this, that the, the task of the first passage is to find the man within the boy and to call him forth. Mm. Call him forth. And we don't do that well. We don't do that intentionally. We don't do that well. And so many of us are like, well, when did you become a man? It's when you got your driver's license, when you graduated high school, uh, when you got drunk the first time, when you had sex the first time, when you, know, when you left the house, when you started paying rent, your own, your own rent, like whatever it was, those are the things. Those are not actually the things. That's right. not when you actually become a man. And far too many of us actually live as adult men, right? Our bodies may be right. adult, but our, but our insides are still a boy. Wow. 
And so we've got to do something with regard to this. And some of that is what we've just been talking about, healing our own wounds, healing our own stories, and bringing some of that in uh, very necessary and needed fathering into our own lives. Wow. Uh, and that's the first passage. Then it's fascinating because we often think, well, once you become a man, you're a man and that's it. The reality is when we look at, again, ancient wisdom and, and, and scriptural kind of understanding of, of the stories uh, of people in the scriptures, there is another passage. It is the passage from man into sage. It is when he becomes, uh, goes from like the king of his world, the warrior of his world, whatever you want to, you know, language you want to put to it, into the elder of the community. Mm. And behind every hero, think about all the stories, all the fictional stories, biblical stories, you know, even like non-fiction stories, where you have a hero, there is always another hero behind him. Wow. Behind every Luke, there is a Yoda. Behind every Harry Potter, there is a Dumbledore. Behind every, like there, there is, behind every Frodo, there is a Gandalf. Wow. Behind every Timothy is a, is a Paul. Behind every David yeah. is a Nathan. There is a sage who is there, who's bringing to bear the wisdom and experience and the kindness that we just talked about, the kindness to the next generation. Every single one of us men grows old, but not every one of us becomes an elder. And, hmm. and I think there is this next passage that we have to attend to, that we have, uh, if, we, if we don't have boys becoming men, certainly we don't have men becoming sages. And we have to be really intentional, I think, as a generation to, to step in, through both of those passages. And they're both an intentional process. They're both uh, a passage process. Wow. Um, very different looking, for sure. It's not like you have to go through the same rite of passage to become a sage, but you have to do the internal work. Uh, if the boy becoming a man is far more like the community of men welcoming him to the, the table of men, the, the next one is like the sense of like this internal work, the settling of your yeah. internal heart into, into the sage. So that's what those two books are about. You know, we interview a lot of people on this podcast. A lot of people have books. Very rarely, I can count on one hand, one handful, the times that in an interview, I've gone to Amazon and put the books in my cart. <laughs> I just did that just now while you were describing this because I'm like, I have to read these. Mm. Personally, we're in that critical stage, right? My, yeah. my older son is nine, just turned nine years old. And I'm like, man, my, I'm losing time in terms of an intentional mm. process for him. I've been thinking about that a lot. What's it, what would be an intentional process to really help grow him up in the remaining nine years that he has under my roof, yes. so to speak? Yeah. And then my younger son is three, you know, and so I could probably copy and paste a lot of that, or at least take a template from that and really start a little bit earlier with him. But I think it's so imperative what you're talking about. I'm curious, Chris, just you know, just out of my own curiosity, I, it's it sounds like it's very philosophical that what you're presenting right there, it, you know. It, are there some practical like examples of here's some intentional, here's what maybe you could do or what to think about or questions to ask in terms of the intentionality process? Oh, absolutely. And, and that is one of my, the reason I wrote the book is that when I, when my son was your son's age, when he was nine, 10 years old, uh, actually way back when, you know, he was born, I'm standing there in the hospital room 
kind of with a with a moment of like, oh crap, what like I did not receive what I needed uh, wow. as a son. How am I going to give to my son what he's going to need? And so that began kind of the journey for me. So when he was twelve, uh, I was you know eleven, twelve years old. I kind of did a survey of the literature. I looked back into the past. There are some books out there that have good content, but they the, they didn't marry both the the theoretical and the practical. And that's really mm. what I tried to do. So in Manmaker Project, you know, I break it down. Here are six characteristics that I see that are kind of godly, manly, biblical characteristics of, of what it looks like to be a man. I encourage each family to determine their own. You can borrow from me if you want, but I did, you know, each family is going to be different, but at least find some. And then I, I walk you through as a dad how to expand out from just one ceremony with your son into what we call a man year, a year long process of kind of these intentional conversations and experiences that each family is going to be different. So it's not a cookie cutter, but you determine it. But I, but I help you think about that. Uh, What is that going to look like for you and the uniqueness of your son versus my son? Uh, So there is that. And and then some, you know, some suggestions around an ending time as well. Uh, And then the same for Sage, like, what does this look like for you? Um, I mentioned the, for Sage, you know, the, the task of the first passage is to find the man within the boy and call him forth. Mm. The task of the second passage is to find the boy in the man and bring him home. Mm. And that process is what I talk about in Sage with really some intentional and practical things to do as well. Wow. That's so good. I'm curious your thoughts on this. A few more questions. You know, there has been a quite a movement around, especially as we see converging with uh, in church cults of personalities that emerge with mega churches and pastors that fall. And so, so the conversation has trended toward this idea of toxic masculinity of spiritual abuse, a lot of which gets um, uh, scapegoated onto manhood, right? It kind of gets combined with it, right? It just kind of gets melded in there together. And so there, there can be, I, I see at least this um, kind of trend to the other side where manhood uh, can become a term that seems like a, like a villain, you know, almost mm-hmm. a, emasculating of God's purpose for a man. Again, I know that there's ditches that we can fall in on either side of things, but maybe give me your, as you're looking at things, your commentary on that and where do we find a healthy and whole place for us uh, again, like a, like what's the barometer that I can kind of stay grounded in when it comes to thinking about manhood for me? I always go back to the Genesis account in the garden. Okay. And there is, there's this beautiful poetry that is written into the the Genesis account of the creation of humanity. Mm. And we're all familiar with it, but I don't know that we've actually camped there very long. And the reality is, and uh, I hope it's okay to get a little bit, a little bit graphic in this, just in the sense that, that when God created humanity, he says he created humanity and then male and female, he created them. He created them in the image of God. That there's something about the oneness of God that then was imbued into two. Mm. That there is a masculinity of God. There is a mm. femininity of God. 
that his image is given to us uniquely as male and female, the fingerprint of God in, in all the manliness and all the femaleness, right? Mm. That, that, that he gave to one of us as male, as female, as man, wow. as woman. And that, that oneness of God then divided into the two is then called to come together again as one. Mm. It is it is the fullness of God when we bring back together the male and the female. And, and so, is it toxic masculinity? No, it's toxic humanity, wow. right? Where we are both struggling. And that's what we get in Genesis 3, where there's the curse, and, and, and I won't get into all that, where the, where yeah. the struggles come. But I say I'm going to get a little graphic in that when in the Hebrew language, the Genesis account says that when he made us male and female, the word male is penis. And the word female is vagina. That he actually made us male in the sense of like all of what that is. And I have a whole like theology around that, that I, you know, uh, this is too much to share here, but there's a theology around the maleness that our bodies hold, our souls hold, our psyche holds, our presence holds that is male. Mm. And there is something that is both anatomically and also characterologically that is female. Wow. And those two things are the, are the very imprint of God that he has given to us as humans to hold both as, as unique and then also as the, the completion of the oneness once again. Wow. Wow. And so there's well so much more, there's so much more to our masculinity and femininity than, uh, than I think we're giving space for. Right. And, oh. and, if that is the case, if there is the image of God in masculinity and the image of God in femininity, if there is a masculine God and a feminine God all within the one God, then is it not likely that the enemy of God is going to come primarily against those two things? Mm-hmm. Against masculinity and against femininity. Wow. Uh, again, too much to unpack here, but that <laughs> when, so when we- really relevant. Man. Right when we begin to wonder about these things, uh, it is not either or; it is both and. And we need we need help. We need we wow. need the healing of God in that space. Man, oh goodness! <laughs> I like feel like I'm I'm digesting. I'm like that's that is um it's profound it when is. you think about that and how we can um how, how you know the enemy is he he is not creative, right? Um, he is a pervert. He's a perverter of God's creative order. Yes. And so, how quickly and easily he tries to subtly uh, slither his way into both of those things in our culture, both masculinity and femininity, and and cause it to go askew from the way God designed each one of those to work distinctly. Yeah. Well, you're so right. He's not creative, but man, he is efficient. Oh, and so, man. if there is if there is one thing he's going to come after, it is going to be that. Uh, in every one of our lives and in it just, yeah, across the globe. Wow. Wow. Man. I'm thinking of the person right now and maybe you can kind of close with this. I'm thinking of the, the man specifically. Uh, uh, Let's do this. I'm actually thinking of both the man and the woman. Yeah. Who feel um, really discouraged and, um, and maybe even defeated in this whole, process, especially, you know, think about what I said earlier about so many folks are tuning in and and sexual betrayal is their story. And 90% of the time it's because the man is, you know, guilty of an affair or 
some kind of pornography addiction, and they're so wrapped up in this that it, you know, it's this, it's this continual journey of like two steps forward, one step back, or you know, yeah. so it can become very discouraging and defeating. So I'm thinking about the man who feels that, who's just like, man, yeah. why do I not just like give way to my and have you know license to my appetites, and because it's just this journey seems so difficult to try to reintegrate all the things that are disintegrated in my own being. And then the female, the woman who's like feeling so defeated because of the, that journey and trying to hold space for that journey. Um, can you speak to each one of those? Uh, just bet. give us some encouragement. Um, yeah. You know, uh, back to what I was saying about there is a, the hero, right? When we have a hero in our stories, there is a moment in every hero's journey where the hero comes to remember who he or she is. Mm where they come back to, this is who you, remember who you are. And the call in the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, is remember, 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 so like, good. don't forget who you are. And I think, especially for men and in the, in the realm of sexual addiction, accountability has focused on, if I'm going to keep you accountable, I, accountability is keeping you away from your sin. I think that is such a deluded and wrong, not deluded like you're deluded, like diluted right, right. Yeah. sense of what accountability is. Yes, I want to I want to hold you accountable to that, but really it's because I know who you are, not mm. what you're trying not to be. And so if That's I'm going to hold you accountable, it is like I'm going to keep you, uh, help you remember the story of who God made you to be, not try to keep you an account of your, uh, of your wrongdoings uh, and have that. So when it comes to that man and some courage and encouragement, uh, there is always going to be the, wouldn't it just be easier if I just gave myself over? Wouldn't it just be easier if? Right. if? And I want to encourage you, like, even if you're in the darkest places of your struggles, if you can have one little matchstick worth of light of hope that says, remember who you are. Mm. Remember, this is not always who you were and not who you are ever designed to be. Uh, and it is only a little bit of light that begins to vanquish the darkness around us. And so, remember so who you are. That for the woman, I want to say, you know, or for the betrayed, because yes, it is primarily men who do the betraying, but not always. Not so always, yeah. for the betrayed, I just want to say, like, you have every right to be angry. Mm. You have every right to be hurt. You have every right to walk through the questions and the struggles of like what just happened. Because I, I would also venture to guess this is not time you've been betrayed. Mm. And for you to know that place and to lock down your heart out of like self-protection, it makes a lot of sense. And I just want to ask the question, is that where you would like to live? Mm. Is that where you would like to live? Because you have a choice. You have a choice. And maybe the relationship is not salvageable. And, and sometimes I want to say it's not. A lot of times it is. And it's going to be costly for both of you. How would you like to live? Do you want to live in a place where your heart is shut down? Or do you want to live in a place where you are uh, still living out of a place of hope? That mm. does not mean that you just need to like get over it by no means, right? By no means does that mean that you need to get, but you do need to process it. You do need to yeah. digest it. You need to attend to your own broken heart so that you don't live there continually and onward. Mm. 
Mm. Wow. Chris, this has been amazing. Uh, I mean, you ministered to my heart so much. and Thank you. And I'm excited about picking up these two books. I mean, these resources, this really is just such a, I, I mean, I'm sure people who are listening to this or watching this, that they're being impacted in the same way, but this is such a critical juncture for me in terms of thinking about fathering my sons. Yeah. And it's such a, how beautiful it is providentially that I'm over here for the past couple of weeks going, how can I, how can I map out an intentional plan yeah. So, and I didn't have the, I don't think I had the language for it, but, but what you just said, this intentional journey and write a passage into manhood. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm so grateful that we have folks like you who are thinking oh. about that, writing about that and have put that to, pen to paper for us. Well, thank you. And I would love to invite you and anybody. So we we have with Restoration Project, we have some fathering experiences, some fathering expeditions that we actually lead. So awesome. if your son as a nine-year-old is in the perfect kind of, we've got three different stages depending on the age of the child. So your son is right in the beginning stage, what we call base camp. We have weekend experiences that, that would love to have you come out to Colorado um, okay. to, to join us okay. for one of those weekends. And then we have the longer kind of backpack adventure canoeing kinds of things for the older kids and then oh. earlier this week i actually just got back from uh from kenya where i led fathers and sons and daughters in an international experience all of which is like the experience is awesome but the purpose is the relationship between father and son or father oh. and daughter and we have those for fathers and daughters and fathers and sons uh so wow. you can find that on our website as well that's amazing Chris, what else, what other resources can we tap into? Where, where can we, what's the website? How can we tune in? Yeah. So um, go to restorationproject.net and you can find all the experiences that we have there, all of the other resources. We've got free resources for fathers. Uh, We have an online community of dads. We've got all that stuff that you can find there, those experiences. We also have a sage experience coming up in January where I'm leading uh, with a colleague of mine. We're taking a group of guys. We did this this past year we're doing it again this year taking a group of men uh who are like 35 and older uh to scotland for uh 10 days to do uh, an intentional journey into the process of bringing that boy home as a sage um so that's coming up in january that's also on the website and then restory.life is the counseling website where you can find us. I do intensives. Uh, a colleague of mine does intensives. We do group intensives. Then we also have counseling that's available uh, locally here in Fort Collins, but then also around the world virtually. So uh, reach out to us. If you find yourself in one of those places where you're like, oh, I need some hope uh, yes. and I need some help, uh, we can help you. Well, we have lots of people that reach out to us about this specific thing, Chris. So I have a feeling you're going to be a resource that we are continually routing people to, to over and over. Thanks so much for your time and your wisdom. And this has been incredible. I, I just appreciate it so much. You can find everything that Chris just said, all of those sites, the websites, resources right there on your show notes or at the bottom of this YouTube uh, video. And uh, Chris, thanks so much for spending time with me. And this is awesome. Right, great to be with you. Thank you. What a great conversation. Mm. So good. It was so good. I love Mm. it. I love that we're talking about how to help men kind of navigate, you know, Mm. trauma that they've had, how to navigate handling their emotions, um, their adaptive or maladaptive behaviors. I mean, yeah, I love it. It was a great conversation. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me, and Teresa, I know you got a lot of experience with this and a lot of insight into this, so I'd love to hear your thoughts, but this this con this concept of helping young boys and young girls, you know, we really circled around this idea of boys because of Chris's con content, but really we can we can take this into just our kids, helping them to understand their emotions and then helping them to regulate their mm-hmm. emotions. You know, we talk about this in the Pain to Purpose course, what it looks yep. like to befriend your emotions first, but then also reframe your perspective. It's a two-part yep. concept. And, you know, it, this is not something that... We, we shouldn't just learn this in adulthood after we've experienced something difficult, right? This should be something that we're training in our kids at an early age. Talk to me about that a little bit. I know you've got a lot of experience and insight into that. Yeah. I think one of the things, if we don't really understand it, at least for me... I thought, well, my emotions are just my emotions. That's what they are, and this is how mm. I deal with things, right? I didn't know that I actually didn't know how to control my own emotions. And so I tell people all the time, if you grew up in a home where either your family didn't talk about their emotions or they didn't know how to handle their emotions. So when you grew up with someone who had lots of rage and anger, very likely you'll have the same thing. That's because it's a learned behavior, right? Mm. So we learn from our caregivers when we're growing up. We learn how to navigate the world, how to manage our emotions. So if you grew up in a home where that didn't happen, more than likely, you're not able to manage your own emotions, even as an adult. And so learning how to do that for me, when I I began to understand like, oh, I don't know how to manage my own emotions. Like, I mean, that's a really humbling experience to have. Right. But what a revelation to understand, I don't know how to do this. And then learning, how do I do that? How do I, not only do I manage my own emotions, but do I teach even my adult kids and my grandkids, right? So I have a quick story. My, um, I had, at the time, my grandson was about three years old and I was right in the middle of learning about our nervous system. That's the mm. thing that kind of controls our emotions, right? So he falls down and bumps his head and he's screaming like his head fell off, right? So I knew in that moment, it was a teachable moment for me. So if I would have ran up to him screaming and yelling and picked him up and I was freaking out, he would have only escalated more. But what I did is went over to him. I said, hey, buddy, what's going on? And, you know, he's trying to catch his breath. I think it's bleeding. And I was like, let me see. And I was just looking him in the eyes like, hey, buddy, it's okay. It's actually not bleeding at all. Hmm. And he's like, can I have a Band-Aid? I'm like, yeah, let's go get you a Band-Aid. So teaching him, like helping him bring that back down to a level where he could control himself because he's looking to me. Am I safe? Right? That's what he's looking for. Am I safe and am I okay? So teaching our kids how to manage that and control that, they borrow that from us, right? They borrow how to manage it actually from us. So yeah, it's a great concept to learn when we have littles that our behavior impacts their behavior all the time. Yeah, it's almost like they just, they're a mirror early on, you know, or at least they're, maybe they're, maybe it's like this, maybe they're a sponge early on and then they start to mirror back to us what we've, uh, displayed to them and demonstrated to them, you know, when they were young. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just this morning, I was having a conversation with, with my daughter and she's a, she feels things very deeply. And, you know, you have two, two, I mean, you could, this isn't so, I don't want to be so reductionist and, and binary, but you do tend to have people on two different spectrums, like the head thinkers versus the heart 
sure. kind of feelers. And, you know, my nine-year-old son is a head thinker, so he doesn't understand emotions. He doesn't get his emotions, right? If he feels something, he's like, I'm not sure what's going on there. So he tries to reason it. Well, our daughter's very much a deep feeler. And I was like, hey, baby, I love that you feel things deeply. But at some point, you're going to have to learn how to control or harness these emotions to understand them and get a get on top of these so that you don't have outbursts or you don't, you know, because you right. can harm yourself, you can harm other people when you do that, you know, whether it be with your words or your actions. And as I was explaining this to her, I was like, this is so simple. This is something I need to hear myself, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. What, it, what does it look like to be able to understand my emotions, first of all, to be, um, you know, be introspective enough, reflective enough to go, what exactly am I feeling right now? To really mm-hmm. be tuned into, where am I feeling it? I love that you mentioned the nervous system. Where am I feeling that? Mm-hmm. And what is that emotion beyond the core, you know, mad, sad, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Like, sure. Let's go a little bit beyond that. We use that feelings right. wheel a lot. Um, yep. And then, and then how do I begin to regulate those emotions? Right? Recognize yeah. those aren't bad things, but they're invitations. It's information that we're being given right, to be right. able to assess what, okay, how do, I, how do I go from here? Yes. You know, I love that God gave us different kinds of people, people who are thinkers and people who are feelers, right? If we were all thinkers, it'd be a very different world. Or if we were all feelers and, you know, God was intentional when he made, we're different, we're not all the same. Yeah. And my youngest daughter grew up with three people who are much more thinkers than feelers, and she is a big feeler, right? Mm-hmm. One of the mistakes I made as a as a young mom was um, I didn't understand her feelings. I'm like, what is happening with you? So we would jokingly call her drama queen and, you mm-hmm. know, because all of her feelings were really big. And I saw it show up in her adulthood as I began to do my own work around my own trauma I saw that she was struggling to trust her own emotions as a young mom, right? She had mm. kind of disconnected from that. And so, and just side note, it's never too late to step back in and help your kids, right? My, She's an adult. Right. She had a baby. Right. And I said, listen, I need to talk to you. I think because we really pushed on you because you have big feelings when you were younger in a joking way, but it was still hurtful to her. Um, we were able to come back in. I was able to say, look, God gave you that baby, and you have to trust yourself. Hmm. We've taught you that your feelings are bad, and you need to tap back into that because that God gave you that baby, and He speaks to you through that. So oh, really, yeah. there's that balance there between, you know, being too much of a feeler, and hmm. we taught her to disconnect from that because it was bad. Um, and it's never too late to step back in and make it right. And yeah. God gives us that opportunity all the time. Wow. But but the, the the conversation around emotions in our family, myself, Chris, my oldest daughter, we're just not big feelers. And here's this poor girl who's in a family with we're not big feelers, <laughs> and she has massive emotions. She's a big feeler. So it was just really cool wow. to see that it's still okay, even at my age, if with her with a baby, when I see it, I'm going back in. I'm like, yeah. we're going to go back in and we're going to try to get this right because you're— Yes, I think you're absolutely right when you say when they're younger, we teach them how to manage those a little bit better. We went too far and actually taught her how to disconnect from them. And Mm. there's a difference because her feelings matter. And so teaching her how to manage them, I wish I would have known that, right? But 
I'm not going to live with shame and feel bad about that because God has now given me wisdom I didn't have at that point. So I can go back in and go, no, you got to tap back into that. We went too far. We pushed you too far outside of your emotions. So yeah, it's it's hugely important. Yeah, That's amazing. That's amazing. I love Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, it's just a testament to the fact that your journey is never over, right? Here you are. You've got adult children, you're digging into your own trauma, and then you're it's helping you as you're interacting with, interfacing with your daughter, and then helping her to, to have some aha moments as well. It's like, hey, I'm sorry, we we did a disservice to you here, and yeah. let's right the ship right now. Um, yeah. What an incredible and thing. I think too many times as parents, we feel a lot of guilt when we've done mm-hmm. something wrong, right? And I think there's, like, that's okay if it motivates you to do something right. You know, I'm not, don't sit with the guilt because guilt brings on shame and there's nothing helpful in there when we feel a ton of shame. Mm. And so I tell moms all the time and dads, like, it's okay to step back in and make it right. Right. Um, Because as adults now, she received that. And later she texted me and said, thank you for saying that. Mm. It has changed so much. So it's never too late to step back in and try to make it right when we've done something wrong. But you know, around the conversations of emotions and feelings. And, um, you know, in particular, I think that men or boys, that's even more difficult, right? Mm. Because we grew up in this culture where we're not going to talk about how we're feeling. And, um, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to be sad. We're going to be the tough guys, you know, and I see it in my practice all the time where it's, it's much more difficult to help a man walk through what they're feeling, because mm-hmm. that is just very foreign to them. Yeah. A woman, we have we feel a little deeper, right? So we can kind of it I often have to walk them to what are they feeling, but they know they're feeling something. Where I think in general our culture has taught us that men, we shouldn't feel sad, we shouldn't cry, we're the tough guys, you know. So it makes it much more challenging. So I love that he is working in particular diving into men and helping them yeah. you know, walk through that stuff. It's really important. So true. So true. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Teresa just said it, it's never too late to really begin to dig into this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, you want to learn some of this stuff early, but many of us, we have not. We weren't, we weren't given the opportunity to. And now you right. found yourself at some point in your journey and you're going, okay, I need to go back and do a lot of work. And we want to help you with that. Um, if you're new to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries or if you're trying to figure out what's my next step, I'd love to invite you to join us to uh, be a part of the the five steps to taking back your story Zoom call that we have. Um, it, it's we, I do it once a month sometimes, a couple times a month, but it's a really good opportunity for you to get to know a little bit more about the ministry, the resources that we offer, including certified coaches. You're introduced to a couple of those certified coaches on the on that call, and but also it's a, it's just a very practical. Okay, if you're looking for some steps, here's some steps you can begin to take right now. It's live. It's not a webinar. You and I are going to interact. So I'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Nothingiswaste.com slash start here. And um, next week, Teresa is going to join us again as a as a host with me. We have a conversation with Kathy Reeg. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. She's normally here with us, but she is extremely busy right now with her book release of Speaking of Feelings, 
big yeah. feelings days. By the way, I don't know why that didn't come into our conversation just yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Everyone <laughs> needs to go and pick up a, the copy of this book, especially for your kids. I've read it multiple times to our kids. Mm-hmm. We've started we started using this as a language. Has this been a big feelings day for you? Cohen, our three-year-old, loves it. And so Aubrey's really busy right now with the book release of Big Feelings Days. You should definitely go and pick that up. We'll have a link right here for you to do that. Um, but you can follow Teresa on, on Instagram too. Teresa, where are you at on Instagram? Mm, Teresa Glance Coaching. Teresa Glance Coaching. She's got some great, great insightful content there. Um, next week, Kathy Reeg. Kathy, this is an this is an incredible conversation. It's a very unique conversation. I won't spoil it. You're going to have to join us next week. But go ahead and listen to a little clip from my conversation with Kathy Reeg. When Job is, mm. <laughs> he's like, who is this that, that calls out to me? You know, do wow. you know where these things are? It just wow. really puts us in, in the place of who we are and who God is. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and if man. you know, if you couldn't even touch that mountain, I mean, come close to it, you know, and you would die on the spot. Mm. I mean, like or or the ark or the uh, of the covenant, anything. Yeah. We just we don't have that. Yeah, and it's because Jesus stands in the gap right, for right. this season. But right. you know what? The day the day is coming, and we need to. You know, when there are storms now, you know. I know he directs those lightning bolts. It's the sovereignty of God. It's just like no tornado, no hurricane, no fires that are going on in Hawaii right now. Nothing is out of his control. Mm. It's all Mm. a part of his perfect plan that all things do work together for good. We can't see it, even in the heartaches and the suffering. Mm. 